Christ is risen. He He is is risen risen indeed. is coming from Psalm 118. The Lord is my strength and my song and has given me victory. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter and I will go in and thank the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord.
Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and 14 to 24. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Done for me. 
King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. And you would bear my cross. And you lay down your life. And I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done. sing for all that you've done for me. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. Yeah. 
bow in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning and we are ecstatic. While this is not at all how we pictured this year's Easter playing out, at the same time, your resurrection, it, it still affects us in our bones the same way that it plays to the base of our souls at any other point in our lives. Our God, we are so enamored with you. We come before you this morning, first and foremost, with that in our minds. Our God, we love you. And we want to pray this morning with that on our hearts. Lord, we want to pray for our town. We want to pray that just as we have seen your kingdom be built in the moment of your resurrection and in the entirety of the Bible that comes after that and in the 2,000 years that has come after that, that we can see that same kingdom continue to be built here in your town of McGregor. 
Lord, we pray that you will make yourself more obvious than we have already seen you. God, we pray in this time of struggle that you will make yourself known. Lord, we pray that you will continue to be the strength that you have been for the different entities in our town. Lord, we pray that you will be with each and every one of the people and each and every one of the families that had not too many weeks ago expected that they would see each other for Easter gatherings. Now, Lord, in whatever way that takes, whatever form that takes, Lord, we pray that you will still be a blessing there, that you will still build up those relationships, Lord, that you will still build those memories, and that it will all point back to you. And God, we want to pray for the local charities that are here in our town. Lord, we want to pray for the different churches that are now dealing with cloudiness as to how things will go. But Lord, we know that you stick with your church, and we look forward to seeing how you will do that yet again now. And God, we pray for the YFC, as they're now trying to figure out how they will operate for the year without the main fundraisers that normally would be playing on at this time, that we all look forward to. God, again, we know that you will stick with your own, and we look forward to seeing how you will do it with YFC. They are such a blessing to our town. And God, we also want to once again bring before you the municipal government in our town, the municipal government of North Norfolk, who has been doing an excellent job in dealing with this crisis. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of the people there, and we pray your continued strength with them. And Lord, we also want to pray for each and every one of the local businesses, many who are struggling just to get by now. God, we pray that your strength will be with them as well and that they will see it as clear as day. And now, once again, we say thank you so very much for everything that we know you have done. We have seen that empty tomb and we are in awe. In your name we pray each and every one of these things. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I will give thanks, for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. Our story begins filled with other people. It begins with a man on a donkey riding into a city, Jerusalem. It begins with throngs of other men, women, and children lining the road as slowly the pair trots toward those colossal gates. And these people gathered, they are, they are ecstatic to see this man. They are fawning over themselves. They are tripping over one another to get just a bit closer. 
They are stripping palm fronds off of the trees and they are fanning and throwing these branches in front of the donkey just so it doesn't need to step on the muddy ground. But our scene also begins with others as well. Men slinking in the background who are scared out of their minds of what this scene would mean for them and their city. They're officials. They're not bad men as we would think of them. But they were placed in charge to keep the status quo. To keep the status quo lest the Romans come in with a hammer and knock everything down. And to these men creeping among the people, their heart rates beating like a snare, to say the crowd calling and wailing in rapture were bordering on a serious riot, that, that would be an understatement. And so, after time, it was these officials who were the first to one by one disappear into the city to plot what was to be done next, to keep things in line. For a week, this man who entered on a donkey and his followers traipsed around the city. For a week, with every action they took, they made their presence known. One day, this man went to the temple, and after that, the officials gathered and talked of it in hushed tones. Did you hear about how he overturned the stalls of the money changers? They hissed at one another. He drove them out with a whip. That was something that these same men likely thought about doing time and time again themselves as they visited the holy site, seeing how it had become profane, but something about how it was this trouble of a man who actually did the deed made it seem dangerous. Something needs to be done about this man, one says, as they all nod in agreement. If we don't, and he keeps acting like this, it will be the end of all of us. Better he dies than everyone else. And so it was that gradually, night after night, the details moved from just a should to a concrete plan, all ironed out. And here it is where we can see ourselves in the story. The week wears on. Passover came, Passover went, plans in place. Following the meal, right on time, the trouble of a man and his friends climb a hill where us schemers were told that we could lie in wait. A giggle slips our lips as we see those friends of this man seemingly fall asleep while he lies face down in the grass, clearly very concerned about something. We can hear him wailing. What kind of friends are they? We think to ourselves as we strengthen our grip on the weapons that we embrace like a child. A rustling occurs, and our hidden group begins to reel. From down the road comes the man that we've been waiting for, a former friend of Jesus. We snicker again. Judas Iscariot. He'd taken 30 pieces of silver from us to do what he was about to now. He proposed the deal himself. He looks sick. He needs to gather himself. Now or never, we say. You come to us, we say. You took the money, we say. And then Judas stands, shaking, 
But all the same, he turns and he walks toward his old friend with us following close behind. Soon the troublemaker will be in custody. Soon things can go back to normal. And now I can read myself in the story. Later that night, people are yelling. There is commotion from all sides. The man I saw only a few short nights ago ride into Jerusalem stands whipped and beaten before me. Blood is dripping from his chin. I hear from others that all this man's friends had shown up to the courtyard where I now stand, but before I even have the chance to ask if there's going to be trouble, I'm told not only is there not going to be a problem, but these so-called friends, without even being prompted, said they didn't know this trouble man one way or the other. They had betrayed their friend to save their own skin. I shake my head. I remember hearing a week ago when this beaten man had ridden into town as if at the head of a parade, the masses calling him king. Not much of a king if his friends won't even stick with him. The question is asked, what should be done? I don't think, I know, I yell, joining into the din of the many on all sides of me doing the same, a deafening squeal as if all the voices in the world are all calling the same thing. Crucify him, we yell. I breathe a sigh of relief. Soon the city will be safe. And now you can see yourself in the story. The day comes, the man who only a week before had people tripping over themselves just to catch a glimpse of him, shouting Hosanna at him. Now they gather once again. They're spitting, they're throwing rocks. So fickle, you laugh. At least the mob is on your side again. Crisis averted. Soon things can get back to how they are supposed to be. Inch by inch, you see the procession climb the hill. Blood continues to drip, drip. The weight of the cross, this once troublesome man is being forced to carry carves a deep furrow in its wake. You arrive at the top. You don't have a taste for blood is what you have always told others, but you force yourself to watch as the soldiers drive the nails into those hands, those hands that clench as they hoist him into the air, pinned to that tree. The moments pass, but strangely you find it easier to watch. An hour goes by, two, the crowd thins, the soldiers are gambling to see who can take the man's clothes. Good, you think. Less to clean. A third hour passes. You notice two people have remained all this time. Two women. They're standing further away. You can't see their faces, but while the group wanes, they stay. Thousands of followers, you think to yourself, and only two by his side now. Four hours go by. You think to yourself, it's time to go home. It's been a long day. There is no telling how much longer he will hold out. No point waiting around. You walk down the path toward the city. 
You catch a glimpse of the women's faces. They're etched with tears. You feel sorry for them, but you think to yourself, oh well, they're better off now. Safe. They just don't know it yet. You find your way home. You fall asleep easier than you thought you would. A while later, you're raised by an earthquake. But in time, you drift off again. Now we see those two women from the hill as they enter the story. Two days have passed by. The morning came early. The dew on the grass still lay thick, but the dark circles under the women's eyes tell a further story. Time is nothing to them now. Slowly they walk toward the place they were told to go. The place, a tomb. The place where their friend, Jesus, was buried. No one should be made to see an execution, a crucifixion. It's dehumanizing to everyone involved. Captor the same as victim. No one is a spectator. Even when it's done to those everyone agrees deserves it, it's, it's still a sign of things broken. But these two women witnessed one themselves two days ago. More than that, they were made to drown in it for hours as they didn't have it in them to leave him as he hurt like that. The women's names were both Mary, a beautiful name. As they drew closer to the tomb, the earth shook again, twice in two days. The women hardly registered it. It had done the same the moment that Jesus had died. This was likely nothing more than an aftershock. They were outside in a field. There was nothing around. An earthquake is just an annoyance then. More concerning to them was how they were going to open the tomb. They were told it was sealed with a rock. They were told that there were guards. In their arms, they held spices that were used to prepare a body for a burial, just the same as had been used on their ancestors and would be used on one day in turn them as well. Honor for those who passed. It hurt to think of their friend like that. Finally, they arrived. And after what seemed both like hours and also moments, as living with grief can do. The entry was unimposing. But something they noticed was off. A man appeared, but not quite. Something was different about him, like he was else. And this man, he walked up to the tomb the guards there, as the women were told, tough, sturdy men. They saw this stranger too, and without so much as a word, only a, a terrified look coming across their face, betraying them, they fell to the ground, petrified with fear. 
And then this man, who was more than a man, angelic, he walked past them to the stone that closed the tomb, and as if it were a feather, he tossed it to the side. The Mary stood, rooted in place, unsure of what was happening. Was their mind playing tricks on them? But then the stranger called to them, Come here. His voice sounded like spring after winter. His voice had the weight of the ocean. Come here, he repeated. Take a look in the grave. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no one here. And that snapped the Marys from their trance. And they shot faster than two have ever ran straight to the mouth of the cave. Where is he? They both thought to themselves. There was trembling in their voice terror in their voice, not only of the stranger, but even more for the fear of having lost their chance to send off their friend to the next life as they meant to. Where is he? The stranger looked at them. And then the oddest thing happened as puzzlement crept across his fine features. He's alive. That voice hang out again. He is risen like he said he would. He should be on the way to Galilee by now. Go tell the disciples. And then, after one more look into the empty tomb, then to the beguiling stranger, the Mary's gaze suddenly, finally rested on one another. And for the first time, after days of feeling nothing, hope crept in. New life returned to them. And soon their minds were racing, and the more they thought and remembered about all the things that their friend had taught them, the more hope turned to, to realize joy. From moment to moment, they, they found their minds outpacing them. Remember when Jesus said he would come back. Remember when he said he would see us again. Remember when he said, remember when, remember... Neither one of them noticed the other rise to their feet, let alone themselves. Neither one of them noticed the stranger disappear. Only their memories were in front of them now. They didn't even notice when, up the path, a man approached them. A smile on his face. A very familiar smile. And whether it was Mary or Mary who noticed it first, there's no way of knowing. But as finally their trance snapped and they saw their friend before them once again, alive, they fell to the ground. And while the tears from days before were now dry, that well exhausted, new ones found their place. There is no way of telling how long these three were together reunited again, but before they parted ways for Jesus to continue on to Galilee as he promised, he again asked the Marys to tell the disciples, to tell his followers, to tell us what they had seen. Tell his brothers were Jesus's exact words. Now we are all in the story once again. For these men who only scant days before betrayed Jesus, abandoned him, and in our case much worse, all for the sake of our own safety, 
our own comfort, all for the sake of keeping things the way that they have always been, broken as that may be. These people, Jesus tells Mary, are his family, and as such, they desperately need to know he is risen. And so the Marys, who were broken, but were the first to see the healer, found themselves tripping over one another in joy, running to tell us all just that. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I will give thanks, for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. He is risen. He is risen indeed. joy of Jesus' resurrection, to spread the good news that death is not the end, that God's love is the power we can lean into, and that the cross has been forever transformed into the assurance of eternity with our Lord. He is risen. <laughs>